So, hey, Tom, welcome to Accelerated Real Estate Investor. So happy to have you on the show. Thanks for carving out some time. Hey, Josh, it's great to be with you and, and great to see you again. It's been a number of years since we crossed paths. Yeah, yeah. Tom and I were just chit-chatting before we hit the record button and got started. We crossed paths all the way back in 2008, I believe it was, Yeah, when the world was melting down and the short sell market was heating up. So it is great. It's been 14 years to be back with you. It's fantastic stuff. Tom, as I mentioned in the intro, is an expert and an investor in self-storage and syndications. We're going to talk through that. But Tom, I'm always curious to talk about today's market. Obviously, the Fed's going to meet here shortly to talk about possibly bumping the Fed funds rate again by maybe another 75 to 100 bips. The stock market dropped yesterday by 1,200 points, but there's still tremendous opportunity. So what are you up to today? What are some things that you're excited about and things that you're doing here to wrap up the rest of 2022? My blood pressure is definitely up, but it's not because of the stock market or uh, any of those other crazy things going on out there. Uh, it's from excitement because I'm really excited about the self-storage industry right now. It's been kind of the the sleepy asset class in commercial real estate uh, for a number of years, but the, the last few years, it's really gotten folks' attention, and that's for good reason. It's a great investment for folks that are just looking for a steady flow. Uh, and what I mean by that is if you, if you look back 40 years, Josh, self-storage occupancy has slowly just meandered, you know, kind of like that lazy river uh, ride, uh, you know, between 80 and 90% occupancy over that time period. Meanwhile, in that time period, you know, you and I have lived through uh, the bubbles and, uh, you know, even before that, I lived through the internet bubble, but through all the all these uh, ups and downs of the general economy, self-storage has always been very, very steady. And today, things are continuing in that direction and, and even growing because of uh, what we call the, the Ds. You know, you've got displacement, you've got downsizing, uh, you know, you've got divorce, you know, so you, and, and then most recently you know, you've got the, uh, you know, the pandemic. I know that's not a D, but that caused people to take their spare bedroom and, and have to turn it into an office to work from home. And so the, those spare bedroom, uh, you know, that furniture is ending up in a self-storage facility. So we're, we're, we love where we're at right now. Uh, we're big fans of the self-storage industry and, uh, can't wait to talk more about it as we get, Go along yeah. here, Josh. Yeah, for sure. So I, yesterday I was on a webinar with the CEO of Marcus and Millichap, and mm-hmm. some slides he was sharing were pretty wild. Were you on that? Did you listen to that as well? You know, I I, uh, I signed up for it and I couldn't be on it because I had an investor call. But uh, yeah. but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to listening to the uh, the replay. I'd love to hear about Good. it. Yeah, make sure you listen to it. In my audience, if you're not following. The CEO of Marcus and Millichap, I think his name is Hassam Nanji, something like that. Just fantastic uh, content and webinars around the global commercial real estate market. So definitely check that out. But yesterday they had uh, Larry Summers on, who was the former US Treasury Secretary that was very involved in the crash of 2008-9-10. And I thought it was interesting, Tom, that he said, we are not in a recession, right? He said, look, you know, when you look at what's going on with the market, you look at job growth, you look at income growth, you look at all these different kinds of things. And you look at, well, GDP went down a little bit, two quarters in a row. I said, sure. And he said, I liken that to now everyone has cash liquid available and people have jobs and there's 5.2 million jobs that are out there that are not even filled that need to go get filled. And then you say, okay, well, we have all this cash available. We have jobs. Our incomes are growing. We're going to go buy stuff. and." We're going to take everything off the shelves because we're going to consume it all. And then 
GDP has to catch up with that and deliver it. And there's still supply chain problems, you know, getting containers delivered from China, Mm -hmm. getting things onto stores is still kind of an issue. So GDP growth might be going down, but he likens it to the fact that the store was full of inventory and now all the inventory is gone. Now the store is trying to play catch up on Mm -hmm. refilling the inventory. And he also mentioned to your point about self-storage, that self-storage vacancy rates have gone down from 20 to 15 to 10, way down to the single digits. And that's what you're referencing as far as you're very bullish on self-storage. So you've seen that. It's been very, you know, 10 to 20% vacancy, but it's actually gone down to single digits lately. So I imagine that your operations, your performance is well outperforming your performance at this point. Uh, and that's, in, in fact, what's going on. And, and uh, we track, of course, we're tracking the operations very, very closely. And we really do uh, push the envelope when it comes to working that demand curve. So we we know that storage is popular right now in the markets where we are. Uh, those markets are attractive to us because they're typically underserved. So that allows us to really be aggressive on, on pushing up our, our rental rates. And because uh, it is self-storage, it's a month-to-month contract. So theoretically, we could raise our rents every month uh, mm. if the market would bear that. We don't subject our customers to that. We actually do two cust- two uh, raises per year on existing customers. Uh, but meanwhile, our, our street rates for new customers continue to go up right now, which is great. Uh, our rates are up about 20% year over year. So we understand like people working from home, like nobody wants to go back to the office and they're having to use the spare bedroom now for an office. Mm-hmm. So there's nowhere to store their stuff. Mm-hmm. That makes total logical common sense. Mm-hmm. But my understanding too is that businesses, because they're not going to the office, they're letting some of their office space leases expire. And then the businesses are also a major customer self for self-storage. So talk through that phenomenon because that wasn't the case five or 10 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so you have like pharmaceutical reps, right? Like they've got pharmaceuticals that they take around to their doctors. Well, they need a place to keep those. And the other thing, Josh, that's going on now, you touched on it a minute ago, the whole the supply chain issues, right? So we have contractors out there that are buying up as much material as they can get their hands on because they have upcoming projects and they don't want to be subject to the supply chain issues. So they're renting large units from us across our portfolio. We're seeing our large units are very, very much in demand. And so uh, those contractors are using that space to you know, put their, you know, their lumber and their plumbing materials and all those things in those spaces for, for their commercial purposes. So, so yeah, that's, that's spot on. And in fact, the, uh, some of the facilities we own have uh, opportunity for expansion. So when we expand, we look at you know, what are the demand drivers in that market, and we size those uh, new units accordingly. So we're putting in a lot more like 10 by 20 and 10 by 30 units now, uh, as opposed to 10 by 10s, which is more traditional, you know, consumer sized uh, Mm. unit. Got it. And I'll also, you know, to your point about those commercial tenants purchasing as much inventory as they can, so they can keep it so they have it when they need it. The other thing that they mentioned yesterday was that prices of lumber, concrete, steel is actually going down and partially because a lot of the consumers like us have gone out feverishly buying everything we need. Then in your case, your customers are storing that in your units. Mm-hmm. And now as we catch up with what we need and get comfortable that we have the inventory to do whatever we need, whether it's construction, whether it's you know what, whatever your business is, you have that material sitting in your self-storage locker. Now 
there's not as much demand to go buy more product because it's sitting in your self-storage unit. And mm-hmm. they reference that now, but those prices are starting to come down because the supply chain is catching up. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, construction companies, they have more than enough inventory sitting in their self-storage unit <laughs> to kind of take them through the next three months, six months, nine months. So that phenomenon, again, is still a COVID supply chain mm-hmm. phenomenon yeah, that's yeah. definitely helping. But the fact that people are not going to return to office anytime soon on a substantial basis, the residential customer for self-storage, I think is going to be in demand for a long time. Oh, sure. Yeah. And we've and we've seen that through history now that uh, you know, folks are using storage. And, and we hear this story a lot, Josh. You know, someone, a customer will come up to one of our facilities. They'll say, hey, yeah, I think I'm going to need this unit for like, you know, three, four months, something like that. And then, you know, three, four years later, they're still right. in the facility because, you know, in good times that 150, 200 bucks a month, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's low on the budget list as far as, you know, paying attention to things. And, and we like to put our customers on auto pay. So it becomes kind of a planet fitness model where it's more of a pain to cancel it uh, than it is to just keep going with it. Uh, But then in bad times, Josh, you know, that's when people actually need the storage because they're, they are selling their house or they are moving somewhere else. And that's, and so it really becomes a higher priority budget item. So I think that's, those are a couple of reasons why I think storage has been so steady over the years. I love it. I love it. Now going forward, Tom, what are, if our audience wanted to invest more in storage, let's say they want to be more of a general partner, finding deals of their own. How is that done? I don't own any self-storage. I've had several self-storage guests on, but I always love to hear you know, our guests talk about what, what is their acquisition strategy? How are they finding storage units? How are they evaluating markets and places? Because look, making commercial investments is a calculated risk. So how are you reducing your risk as much as possible? What are some factors that you look at and how do you go about your acquisitions? Yeah, that's a great question, Josh. And that's one of the things uh, here at Bellrose Storage Group, we've really put a lot of time and effort into to building out those systems and building out that team. Because, you know, just like any other you know, commercial real estate asset class, it's it's competitive out there. So we have to have, you know, a better, you know, faster, you know, stronger kind of approach. But we uh we have an internal team and we we do an, an outreach to uh to facility owners, starts using virtual assistants. They're making uh, hundreds of phone calls per day uh, into the markets that we're targeting. And then uh, when that VA gets a, a warm lead, it gets kicked over to um, uh, our next uh, phase where they, there's a warm conversation that takes place. And then if it really does look like there's a potential transaction there, then it goes to my my partner, Joe Downs. He builds that rapport with that with that owner and really just tries to add value any way we can. You know, we're not necessarily starting the conversation like, hey, you want to sell your facility. It's more like, hey, you know, we own a facility, you know, uh, you know, a couple towns away. How are things going for you? You know, we're new to the market. Here's what we love. Here are the challenges we're running into. So really try to, you know, be more of a uh, you know, value add uh, partner there. Uh, but a lot of times those conversations end up with, well, you know, I've owned this facility a long time, uh, and you know I, I've been thinking about selling. I hear prices out there are pretty good now, and uh, which highlights something else, Josh. I think is important for people to know about the self storage industry. You know, sure, people driving around their neighborhoods, they see the public storage or the extra space or the Cube Smart, but the fact is, those big real estate investment trusts only control about twenty five 
ish percent of the self storage market, which means 75% of it is either smaller regional players like us or moms and pops that got into the storage industry almost by accident. You know, you hear the story all the time about how they had some extra land. And it's funny, a lot of the facilities we see will have like a house in the front and then there's storage in the back or, or you know, there's like a convenience store or some other business in the front with storage in the back because they had extra land. And so they're not really storage people. Their whole goal is to just keep those units full, whatever they do, whatever they have to do so that to do that, they keep their rents artificially low. Because what they don't want to do is have to do an acquisition team or an acquisition plan or a marketing plan or have a website or, you know, any of those kinds of things. And so they don't keep tabs on the rents in that market. So it gives us the opportunity as a a professional business and professional self-storage operator to go in there and push the rents and clean up the delinquencies and, you know, fix the roll-up doors on the 10 units that this guy's had unavailable for a year because he just wasn't getting around to ordering the springs. <laughs> right. Yeah. The so, down, right. We just took over a building that we bought at 40 down apartments units out of 300. Right. at 87% occupancy. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. when were these units last available? And we found out they'd been years right. since they were turned, you know? Yeah. So you're, you're, so you're looking your chops on that one, right? You're oh, yeah. like, Hey, there's some, un, there's some found money there. Let's go get it. <laughs> I love the fact, Tom, that you're going after uh, self-storage owners directly using a direct outreach program using yeah. VAs. Um, let me ask you on the flip side, obviously the other big question is funding, right? Is sure getting funding, limited partnerships, investors. And there's obviously big high net worth investors out there, institutional investors. And then that was what I would consider a traditional private investor or private lender. Somebody that has, you know, could be a hundred thousand, could be 2 million in, in, in available to invest. Right. What's your preferred method for uh, syndicating and investing and recruiting investors for your deals? Yeah, it's a great question, and it's it's one of those things, Josh. It's it's evolving for us. Like we're we're a growing organization. We have big growth goals, and so that whole uh, what we call capital servicing. Uh, when we reorganized earlier this year, we made capital servicing its own lane, if you will, within our within our company, and that's actually what I'm in charge of. So traditionally, we have reached out to the you know the fifty hundred thousand dollar. Uh, you know, friends and family style uh, capital raises. But now that our capital requirements are going up, you know, we are starting to reach out and we're doing more of the, uh, sorry to throw around SEC terms, but the 506C offering, which means that we can generally solicit out into the world. So we're having to go that route because we need to throw out a bigger bigger net to to raise the capital that we need. But, you know, we're trying to maintain that thought leadership position in the self-storage industry so that we're attracting investors to us as opposed to us, you know, having to go out and and uh, and find them. They're finding us. So that's partly why I'm here today with you, Josh, is, you know, we're, we're putting ourselves out in the podcasts, you know, we're writing articles, we're doing press releases, uh, speaking at industry and engagements and, uh, you know, belonging to mastermind groups and, and all of those kinds of things. Just try to keep our our names out there, but we do really like Josh, you know, working with the smaller investors, because honestly, that's one of the reasons I got into real estate to begin with was because uh, I just saw it as a better way for the average Joe to go out and create that, that financial freedom that, that, that everyone's looking for. Yeah. So do you have experience with super high net worth 
Do you like working with them? Are there pitfalls working with those kind of family offices types, you know, super accredited? Obviously, then there's there's lots of geeks sure. to work through. And if you have, what are some of the pitfalls that that go with that type of investor? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. So yeah, we've we've tried lots of different avenues, and and, and you brought up uh, family offices, and uh, yeah, the facilities that we're buying are in the generally like the three to five million dollar range. So we're only needing like maybe a million or you know two two and a half million of equity typically. And what we found going the family office route, and I don't know, maybe others have have had some more success, but I I, I kept running into a number of dead ends in that world because. Those family offices, I mean, they, these are like ultra high net worth investors, right? I mean, they've got you know billions and they've got whole teams and whatnot. And so for that family office to have that team engage on a deal, you know, they want to write a bigger check, right? So they want to write a $10 million check minimum or 20 million, you know, they and, and they want to see a deal flow. Uh, you know, where they can continue to write those checks with a particular sponsor group. And so that that ended up being our challenge in that world uh, because we just didn't, you know, the deals, we just didn't have the big enough deals. But you know what? I, I think the other thing uh, with family offices that we found too is it's that's a long cycle, like to get oh, yeah. those folks on board. I mean, they're not going to, you know, get an email or, you know, have a meeting with you and then say, yeah, okay, I'll invest. You know, it's, it's going to be a multi-month, if not multi-year process for them to really get to know you and uh, which is fine. And, you know, I'm sure there's people out there doing much bigger deals than we are, you know, we're certainly not the biggest player out there, but that keeps us coming back to the, uh, to the high net worth individuals who are, you know, more the folks who can write a, you know, hundred, $250,000 check to participate in our deals. Yeah. Love it. And what's the typical structure, Tom, help me understand. And again, I'm just going to make the disclaimer. This is not an offer to invest in securities, but we're right. just talking high level about structure and strategy. What sure. is it? structure with GPLP in a self-storage deal mm-hmm. and asking for selfish reasons because I've got some money to deploy and I <laughs> look to expand our commercial holdings outside of multifamily. Sure. What's a proper structure, like a pref return equity? What does that type of look like? Hold period. What's kind of a good normal structure for you and what works for your business? Sure. So uh, we started out, Josh, uh, when, we, when we first started raising capital for uh, these kinds of deals with a with just a straight split between the GP and the LP. Uh, but we would all always include a, a preferred uh, dividend to to the uh, limited partners, and that was typically in the eight to ten percent range. So we 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 did that because a lot of folks, you know, especially if they if they are looking for some income, uh, you know, they like to see that you know kind of juicier preferred return. And then, you know, the thing with self-storage actually that I like is as long as we're, you know, kind of going under the covers here is, uh, you know, our splits are actually more in favor of the uh, of the sponsor a lot of the times. So some of the initial deals that we did were 65% to the sponsor, 35% to the investors, but we were still able to get our investors to the, you know, kind of the mid high teens targeted IRR range. And that's on like a two to three year hold, Josh. So we had some investors though, uh, that we had known over the years, because uh, we've raised over $50 million of private money over the years in, in our various businesses. But we had some investors kind of balk at the at that split. 
So we've actually, uh, at the beginning of this year, we adjusted our, our terms. And so now we still offer the, the preferred return, which, which is actually cumulative, in the and that varies in the eight to ten percent range. So, you know, still pretty juicy, but now we have a, a just a small waterfall. So we pay investors eighty percent of the excess cash flow and profit split up until they get to a fifteen percent IRR, and then it flips to us eighty percent. 20% to the investor. But again, we are still gearing, you know, when we're doing our numbers, we're doing our projections, our underwriting, we're always gearing this, uh, the IRR to the investor to be in the, you know, mid to high teens range, maybe a little higher if, if there's a development component yeah. to it. Are you ready to automate and explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. I love it. That's great. That's exactly what I was looking for, right? So I like the fact cool. that you're flexible and changing with your investors and with the times and each deal is a little different. And listening to those investors is key, right? Because without them, without us, it's very much a partnership. You know, the deals don't happen unless, you know, both sides of the table are happy. Absolutely. And 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 I'm sure you you witnessed this as well, which is, you know, when you do a good job uh, and you do right by your investors, they're they come back. And they, they, a lot of times what we've experienced is they not only come back, they come back with more money and they bring their friends. <laughs> so no so no we doubt. love that. That's, that. that's telling us that we're doing a good job. That's right. Tom, if I was a limited partner in one of your deals, a lot of the guys will ask me when I'm looking at multifamily, so, well, what, you know, what are the risks? What, what's the... What's the doomsday scenario where a self-storage deal doesn't work? And then how do you rectify it or exit to save the investors? Like, so what are just high level? What are some of the things that you keep your eye on when it comes to that? What are the risks? What could be worst case scenario? And how have you kind of insulated yourself to make sure you protect for that? Josh, I have to be honest. Yeah, I've, I've been on a number of, of podcasts and I've had a number of conversations with investors and I get this question a lot. And I have to be honest, I actually stumble with this question because I have a hard time thinking about a scenario where self-storage would like totally tank. And, and I'm just being honest. I'm not, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's real property, right? So, you know, the, the only things that I've been able to come up with I mean, first of all, let's talk macro, right? So if the world goes to hell in a handbag, you know, storage is probably the least of the problems, you know, in as far as other potential investment opportunities. So I think it'll survive the best, but still, you know, could have some serious downside if, you know, really bad things happen. But again, anything that macro, I think is going to hurt other things more. And then, you know, the other thing is would be market, right? So if we, and, and I think what it ultimately comes back to is us as the sponsors, I think is, is we're probably the biggest risk because if we miss something in a market, like one of the things we look for, Josh, and, and you probably do this in the multifamily world as well, 
is we look for a, a diversified economy in the market where we're where we're going to invest, right? We don't want it to be a one factory town where you right. know that factory goes out of business and then the town's out of business, right? So we we do a, a lot of homework up front. We're looking at the market. Uh, you know, we're looking for growth or at least a steady market with good income, low crime, uh, diversified economy, low unemployment rate, low poverty rate, you know, those kinds of things. But, you know, I guess there could be a scenario where something happens in the market where we own a facility and something devastating for that particular area. But like um, that leads me to think about, you know, natural disasters, right? Of course, I can't control natural natural disasters, but with real estate, you can buy insurance for that stuff. Right. So, right. right? So I, again, I struggle with this question because I can't really think of a, a real doomsday scenario just for storage. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I think, you know, keeping your eye on this return to office is obviously something that's got to be on your radar because if people are forced to return to office, which isn't going to happen, but if they were, then some of the demand for, hey, I've got to go back to the office, which frees up my other bedroom. I feel like COVID has just structurally changed our economy to the fact that employers and employees are now going to expect a diversified, you know, maybe go to the office for one or two days, work from home for two, three days type of thing, or full work from home. I just believe that we've convinced ourselves that that's a very doable economic way to run a business. I've been doing that since I had cancer in 2011. I let all my employees work from home when I was sick 11 years ago, and we've been pretty much virtual ever since. Obviously, people are on site at our apartment complexes all the time, and we have an HQ office, but nobody ever goes there. So (laughs) I believe that that's really what COVID has proven to us is that we could operate in that scenario. And I don't see that reversing back to the way things were in 2019. If it did, maybe that would drastically influence the self-storage demand. But I think you got to make a bet when you're an operator like you or like me, you got to make a bet based on the economics and the economics are just purely different than they were three years ago. Sure. Well, of course, you know, self-storage has existed uh, long before COVID came along. But, you know, another thing we look at that supports the self-storage market, even in the in an instance where you know folks did go back to the office, you know, we are a country just chock full of consumers, right? I mean, anybody can pick up their smartphone right now and go to their Amazon account and, you know, buy whatever, you know, trinket is looking good that day. And, and that's just what we are as, a, as an economy. You know, we're consumers and folks are out there buying stuff and it's now it's easier than ever. You know, credit flows pretty freely, and folks are just buying stuff. And you know, millennials are are looking at uh, you know they look at housing. Uh, the data suggests you know completely differently than than maybe prior generations. They're looking at you know wanting a smaller house or even a, an apartment. You know, but they still want their toys, right? They want the kayak and they want the bike. And so, as part of their overall housing strategy, they include a self storage unit. Uh, mm-hmm. They say, okay, I'm going to rent that house or that apartment, and I'm going to rent that uh, self storage unit down the street, and that's where I'm going to keep my my extra stuff. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Tom, you've obviously learned a lot. You and I met back, we think we were trying to piece it together. It's like 2017, 2007, 2008. Yeah. And uh, back then we were both in the process of doing short sales. You were a Homevestors franchisee at one point. Yeah. You've obviously learned a lot. Just talk for a couple minutes here about your entrepreneurial journey. What was it like, you know, coming out of the 2007, 8, 9 crash? Obviously, my journey has changed. I've had kind of a couple different... My mom said to me a couple of years ago, 
she said to me, I'll never forget this. She said, I felt like I was married from a, a, a marriage perspective. I felt like I was married to your dad. I felt like I was married to a different man every five years. <laughs> when, I look at my, when I look at my entrepreneurial journey in real estate and other things, I feel like I've been a different investor roughly every five years. What's that been like for you since we first met? Uh, that's a that's a great question, and uh, and if you'll allow me, Josh, I'll actually uh, just to because I think it gives good context to the story. If you allow me to go back a little bit further before we met, so I was a corporate guy, right? I was I was you know MBA, you know went to corporate world, was doing mergers and acquisitions and and corporate finance stuff, which was great. I had a blast. It was I worked with some great people in the aerospace industry. I had lunch with Neil Armstrong. I mean, mm. I did some pretty cool stuff in my corporate life, but I just knew it wasn't where I ultimately wanted to end up, right? Uh, I'd always wanted to do something on my own. 2006 rolls around. Uh, I'm at Nutrisystem, you know, the weight loss food company. And um, we, uh, you know, that company's growing and things are going crazy there. I came on board there as an MA guy. They were looking to maybe go into some other markets. They ultimately decided because the core business was exploding. Hey, I'm, we're not going to do that. So you know, bye bye, Tom. So I got the boot in 2006, but as a VP at the company, I exited with kind of a nice package, right? So uh, it was the kick in the pants that I needed, though, Josh, to actually launch my entrepreneurial career. It was a little abrupt; <laughs> wasn't exactly how uh, you know folks draw it up, but that's what happened to me. So I got fired. I'm out in the world, you know, looking for something to do. That's where I ran across ham- home investors because I did want to get into real estate. Of course, my timing couldn't have been worse. (laughs) So that nice nest egg, you know, a nice, you know, war chest of cash, you know, pretty much, you know, dwindled down to about zero over those next few years. Uh, So I learned some hard lessons uh, those first few years, but, you know, I was in it to win it. And uh, so I just said, Hey, you know, I got to reinvent. So when the uh, home investors, which for those who don't know, it's a it's a residential wholesaling company, and so I, I did some fix and flips uh, along with the wholesaling. I, I had a rental portfolio that was a disaster, <laughs> uh, but I, th- around about that time, I found distressed mortgages. So I started buying pools of distressed mortgage notes, and that's when uh, my partner Joe Downs and I connected, and we've been business partners ever since for 12 years now. So that business is U.S. Mortgage Resolution, and we've done over $50 million in uh, revenue in that business over the years. We've acquired uh, going on a a billion dollars of uh, unpaid principal balance of distressed mortgages in in that business. So the success in that business has allowed us to try out some other things along the way. So we we tried to do some more fix and flips and that didn't work again. I should have learned the first time. <laughs> right. And then uh, and then we started getting into uh, we did a, a hard money lending business. So I think uh, you might have done a little bit of that as well, Josh. But, you know, we started doing that. And just again, just uh, for whatever reason, just couldn't couldn't get any traction there. I don't think we had the right people. I don't think we had a, the right attention span because we did have other things going on. We're actually in the process now of, of closing down that business. Uh, so, you know, throw that one in the uh, failure bucket as well. Uh, and actually, I started investing as a limited partner in apartments back in 2013. So I am a fan of multifamily. I've had a good run as a limited partner in those deals. But we found self-storage and having had all these you know, other experiences along the way, I think it just, for us, it just checked all the boxes. We got around the right people. We made the right relationships. We've built the right team. Uh, we've spent this year 
really building out our internal systems so that we can really set ourselves up to grow. So we have some aggressive goals the next uh, couple of years. And so now we're, I feel like we're, uh, you know, we're just checking all those boxes and we're just in a great spot. And, uh, you know, we're just out there looking for investors to, you know, join us on this great journey. Yeah, I love it. I, and I wonder, Tom, for you, if it was similar to the epiphany that we had, which was, and I have this talk I give, it's called the nine traits of elite entrepreneurs. And trait number one is invest for cash flow now. And when I fell into the fund that we ran and we started doing private lending, that was our first real significant entree. That was a $50 million fund into investing for cash flow because it produced immediate cash flow. And then the apartments became the replacement. And ultimately, where we finally landed, where ultimately, you know, you kind of see the writing on the wall that this kind of is the promised land. This is the promised land for cash flow. And we fell in love with that years ago. And we're like, okay, we're all in for this. And this is kind of where I think we're going to stay. And that's where we've stayed. Sounds like you've done the same thing. Like you had, like you said, you reinvented yourself, reinvented yourself, reinvented yourself. (laughs) Yeah. That trait, that first trait that invests for cash flow, you just have been doing it with storage. Does that sound about right? It's, it is about right, but I have to say that uh, that our distressed mortgage debt business, like we've built that, so we have a portfolio of, of reperforming loans there that generate cash flow that that fund the business. So, you know, nice. anything over and above that is is gravy. So, but the the problem with the distressed mortgage debt business is, uh, at least for for our our company, U.S. Mortgage Resolution, is that it's very lumpy, right? When those portfolios come up and we're able to buy it. And then to start to liquidate it and get it cash flowing, you know, that is a great period of time. But unfortunately, it's very unpredictable. It's sure. very lumpy. Several years ago, we went like maybe three years without a trade. And we're like, and that's when we were like, well, geez, we got to get into some other business here to try to smooth things out. So ultimately, kind of like you've landed with multifamily, we landed with self storage. So, you know, we still have the distressed debt business, which is great and it's still lumpy, but now we're smoothing things out with our uh, self storage uh, business where we really spend over 90% of our time on that now, probably more like 95. I love it. I love it. Tommy, it sounds like a lot of the traits that I've talked about with my group, you kind of check the boxes on that. Investing for cash flow now is obviously a, a real big one. You know, working with private investors so you can come out of pocket with little or no money down. Um, I guess last question for you is what what have been your big takeaways? What I heard you say is reinvent. That's the one word that you use today that really sticks yeah, out yeah. for me. But what else have you learned along the way? If you give some advice to our audience about you've learned from your journey, what are maybe one or two things that really stick out that if you could pass back, pass forward, whatever you want to call it, to say, hey, these are some things I did right that I would want our audience to hear? Sure. Uh, well, if it's okay, I'll just I'll share with you um, Belrose Storage Group's core values uh, sure. because I think that really encapsulates the things that we've learned in our in our journey. Uh, so the first one is principled, right? So we're always working in a principled way with high integrity. We, we're looking for win 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 solutions, you know, across the board. The other one is SEAL Team. So. Uh, SEAL team, right, is the the Navy SEALs, right? Those are they're elite performers. They perform with excellence. They've got each other's backs, right? And they just they just want to go out and crush it. They don't want to be the biggest. 
They just want to be the best. So that's our next one. Uh, for those, uh, <laughs> if you're not from the Philly area, you might not appreciate the humor with this next one, but it's gritty and it's not grit because the Philadelphia Flyers uh, mascot is gritty. I don't know why <laughs> his name's gritty. He's ugly, but uh, grit, right, is really the the basis of that uh, core value. And it's, you know, we got to, you know, get things done. You know, we work hard together. You know, we, we, we just grind, right? We get things done. Uh, the fourth one is Gumby, right? So you got to be flexible. You got to be willing to, you know, be flexible with a smile, right? Gumby was always in a good mood, right? <laughs> if, you, yeah. if you, if you, I'm showing my age here, but if you remember the Gumby uh, cartoon from way back when, the claymation, I mean, it was awesome. But you know, he was always very uh, flexible, always in a good mood, always doing things to help out his neighborhood. And then the fifth one is champion, and it's not, it's not the noun, it's the verb. So we champion each other, we keep each other pumped up. You know, we help out folks that might ha- be having a difficult time, and we not only champion each other internally, we champion our communities and we champion our, our strategic partners and we try to do what we can to lift them up. And so, uh, you know, those are, uh, I think those core values, Josh, kind of encapsulate the the things that we've learned along our entrepreneurial journey. That's fantastic stuff, Tom. I know that you guys are actively in the middle of a deal right now. Why don't you just real high level, tell us about it real quick, and then we'll wrap up and we'll tell our audience where they can engage with you. Yeah, great. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, yeah, so we're acquiring Kent Self Storage up in uh, Carmel, New York. It's upstate New York, about a couple hours north of New York City. Uh, it's a really great opportunity because there's an existing facility there that is the typical mom and pop run facility. It's beautiful, uh, but his rents are like 20% below market. So there's an easy, big value add component right there. It also comes with a lot right next door. The owner is just, he's in his uh, mid eighties and he's just kind of ready to move down to Florida. So he's, he didn't want to take on that project. So the deal comes with a lot right next door where we're going to build another facility uh, and basically double the size. We're going to be able to build that for about $120 a square foot. And where that market is, uh, we're going to be able to ultimately sell both of these together for $350 a square foot. So there's a big arbitrage opportunity there that we're super excited about. Uh, It's a solid market. There's a Costco uh, retail development going in right across the street. We're offering our investors our typical, you know, high teens IRR with a cumulative preferred payment in there, like we talked about earlier. So we're super excited about this one. It's going to be a, it's going to be a really fun deal. It's going to be a really uh, uh, lucrative deal for everybody. I love it. I love it. And if people want to learn more about you or about your business or invest with you and take it for the next step, where, where can they do that? Sure. Of course, bellrosestoragegroup.com is a great place to start. Got our portfolio in there. We've got the background of all the principles. Uh, and, the, and at that website. You can also register in our investor portal, which is where all the fun stuff happens. That's where our uh, offerings are presented and the uh, the documents are all in there. So you need to register there if you're interested in participating. And I would also encourage folks, Josh, um, you know, we mentioned about a little bit ago about, you know, lessons learned along the way. So we have a free resource on our website that we call, uh, it's the SAFE method. Uh, and it's a, it's a due diligence framework for high net worth individuals that might be like struggling to figure out how to invest in a storage deal or, or a multifamily deal or anything outside of the stock market. So real quick, SAFE is an acronym. S is for sponsor. You know, who's running the deal? What do you know about them? What's their background? 
A is asset. What is the asset you're investing in? Uh, is it membership interest in an LLC that owns an apartment building that Josh's group is buying? Or uh, So uh, this is where I, I'd love to hear a crypto investor tell me what asset are they investing in? Because I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> F is for financials. You know, What are the financial projections? What are the return projections? Does this investment meet your individual investment criteria, income, growth, capital preservation? And then E is for exit. How do I get out of this thing? You know, if you invest in a Belrose Storage Group deal, unfortunately, you can't go to Schwab.com and click, 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 you know, sell your position. Uh, you have to be comfortable with whatever the deal is to be in it for two, three, four years, whatever that investment time horizon in and is. And you also have to be confident in the uh, sponsor's ability to execute on that exit strategy. Love it. The safe investing method. I love the acronym. That's great stuff, Tom. Listen, man, this has been a great interview. Appreciate not only your self-storage uh, advice and ideas and investment opportunities, but your journey, your entrepreneurial journey. It's great to reconnect with you after 14 years. Yeah. And, uh, see all the success that you guys have had. So thanks so much for taking some time and yeah. being with today on Accelerated Investor. Thank you, Josh. It's been great, buddy. It's great to reconnect. Thanks so much. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one -on -one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com.